everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 25, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. And our question for this program is, what does Jesus mean when he says we're supposed to hate our lives? Well, I think part of the answer is, my love for God should be so strong that my love for the world looks like hatred in comparison. But this is kind of a difficult verse, so I want to invite you, would you take out your Bible, turn to John chapter 12, and let's see what Jesus means by these difficult words. Let's pray first. Father, we do pray that you help us hate our lives in the proper way and love you way more than the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, speak to us now by the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says these words a few days before he dies. John chapter 12, starting at verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast called the Passover, Jewish Passover, were some Greeks, some non-Jews. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked Jesus, sir, uh, and asked him, Philip, uh, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So in this verse, the world is starting to come to Christ, not just the Jews, but these non-Jews are starting to come to Christ. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come, he's talking about his death, for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you know, perhaps when Jesus sees the Greeks coming to him, it reminds him, I'm not going to die just for the Jews, I'm going to die for the world. Maybe it reminds him of his coming death. So here's the first lesson. It, Jesus said, Jesus will be glorified when he dies. Jesus had lived three years in, in public. His ministry took three years. He was about 33 years old when he died. But the thing that showed forth the glory of Jesus Christ was when he died. It shows us more than anything the depth of his love for us. So I want to encourage you to pray a prayer that maybe you've never prayed. God, be glorified in my death at my funeral. You know, if you're a Christian, you've probably played, prayed, hopefully many times, God, be glorified in my life today. But have you ever prayed, God, be glorified in my death? <clears throat> there was a friend of mine who came back from uh, uh, visiting her hometown, a small town, and she told me this story. There was a little boy in town who loved Jesus. And he'd go to people and he'd talk to them about Jesus. When they didn't go to church, he'd get concerned about them. And the little boy got a, a serious illness and was dying. And he said to the pastor, would you make sure you have an altar call at my funeral? He died. The pastor preached the gospel at the funeral. My friend said the funeral was packed. They loved this kid. 
all kinds of believers and unbelievers in church. And then the pastor did the altar call. And if you've never accepted Christ, come forward and, and receive him as your savior. And if I remember right, my friend said something like maybe 30 people came forward. <laughs> so have you ever prayed, Lord, be glorified in my death at my funeral? You know, I will tell you, um, my mom died when she was 83 years old, and I drove home to Omaha for the funeral. Mom's funeral was one of the best days of my life, and let me tell you why. My dad was a Catholic who had nine brothers and sisters. I had lots of uncles, uncles and aunts from dad's side of the family. Dad died a long time ago. Uh, but then my Catholic relatives start dying as they got older. So I sent them all a letter, and I sent them this little gospel pamphlet on how to make sure you're saved. And, and I said, you know, we're dying now, and I just want to make sure everybody goes to heaven. Would you please read through this little thing on, on how to accept Christ and know you have uh, heaven for eternity? Well, mom's 83 and she dies, and they're, most of the Catholics are pretty old now, my aunts and uncles. I didn't expect them to see them at, at mom's funeral. They all showed up, and I've been praying for these people most of my life. And at the end of the, the, the pastor preached mom's funeral, but I had the closing solo. So I got up with my guitar and I said to everybody, you know, most people think you get to heaven by being good. That doesn't work because we're sinners. Here's the only way you get to heaven. And I sang Old Rugged Cross. And I had put 80 of these out in the back of the church. And I said, now before you leave church today, if you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, would you please take this home, read it, and make sure you've received Christ? All 80 of these pamphlets vanished. And when I drove home to Minneapolis, it was, it wasn't, I, I, I was flying home <laughs> to Minneapolis. Mom's funeral was one of the best days of my life. And what I want to ask you to do before you go to bed tonight and pay it, pray it periodically, God, not only will you be glorified, please, in my life, would you please be glorified in my death? Look at verse 24. John 12, 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a mini parable. Do you get the point of Jesus' parable? If I take a grain of wheat and I leave it out on the table, it's not going to do anything. But if I take it and put it under the soil and it dies and gets buried, that's when it sprouts up. And Jesus is saying that about himself. Jesus is saying, I'm the seed. When I die and when I get planted and buried, that's when things are going to really blossom. And from his death came the Christian church, which has founded more hospitals, more churches, more orphanages, more um, colleges, more uh, world hunger programs. More good has resulted from the death of Christ than the death of any human being on the history of the planet. Par excellence. So because Christ's death is what bears fruit, here's my, my point to you. When you talk to people about Jesus, it's his death that bears fruit. And I've said this on the show before, but you don't talk to people about Adam and Eve, and you don't argue evolution. You don't bring up Jonah and the fish. You don't bring up uh, Noah and the ark. When I'm on a plane and I'm sitting next to someone and I want to talk to them about God, I go right to the cross. Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. Would you like to believe in him for your salvation? It's the cross that bears fruit. 
Look at verse 25. Whoever loses his life, excuse me, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's the next lesson. A Christian hates his life in this world. Now the question is, what does Jesus, what does Jesus mean by that? That I'm supposed to hate my life? Well, I'm not supposed to hate what's best for me. Believing in Jesus is what's best for my life in this life and the next life. So you're not supposed to hate what's best for you. You're supposed to want that. Um, so what does he mean? I think when Jesus says you're supposed to hate your life, he means two things. Number one, I hate my sin. It's good for me to hate my sin. My sin wrecks me, so it's good for me to hate that. You know, hear this, Christian. Your sin is more serious than you think. Let me repeat that. Your sin is more serious than you think. Your sin wrecks you and your loved ones more than you think it does. We tend to minimize our sin, so it's a great thing if you hate your sin. And the second thing I think hating your life means is I hate my flesh. And by flesh, I don't mean my human body. When the Apostle Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about that evil human nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. We're all born sinful. We're all born not liking God. I don't want God to run my life. I want to run my life. That's called the flesh. And even after you're saved, and even after you're baptized, you still got to fight your lower evil nature. Um, you, you know, it continues to pop up. I've, I've shared this before of an old Lutheran professor who said, we know that the Apostle Paul taught in Romans chapter 6 that our old Adam was drowned in baptism. But we learn he's a pretty good swimmer. <laughs> he keeps coming back up to the surface. So the second thing is good for you to hate your sin, but it's good for you to battle your flesh, that evil nature. Here's the way Martin Luther put it 500 years ago. What does baptism in water mean? It means that the old Adam, the flesh in us, should by daily repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts. And again, a new man come forth daily and arise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So if you're going to be a follower of Christ, number one, hate your sin. Number two, hate that evil human nature that you got to fight every day. Verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Here's the next lesson. Don't try to serve Jesus without following him. So here's a young woman who wants to teach Sunday school, and she's living with her boyfriend. Well, that's not going to work. Here's a young man who wants to be a pastor, but he never gives God any of his money. Well, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, Jesus says in this verse, if you want to serve me, make sure you're following me first. I think the scandal of recent decades, and I know they're a minority, a tiny minority of the priests, I know. But the scandal of the church in the recent decades has been Catholic priests abusing children. And how do you do that? How do you try to serve Christ and preach and then abuse children on the side? Uh, you can't. So Jesus says, if you're going to serve me, make sure you're following me first or you'll wreck people more than you help them. Now, having said that, 
Jesus is not talking sinless perfection. If you have to wait till you're sinless and perfect, you'll never serve Christ. But he is talking about impenitent sin. If you're living in impenitent sin, there's a difference between living in impenitent sin and sinning and repenting. We all sin. We all repent as Christians. But if you're living in it, don't try to serve Christ yet. Work on that first. I'll give you an example. Um, I went back to Florida to preach at my first church that I had when I was a young preacher. I have a dear friend that I grew up with in Omaha. She now lives in Florida. She wanted to hear Tom, her old friend, preach because I've known her since we were 12. So Carol comes to my church. Carol had some sexual fornication immorality in her past, uh, but she comes to Christ, she's born again, and now she's coming to hear her old, her old friend Tommy preach. And before I got up to preach in my old church, Carol's next to me, and this, uh, I, I'm introduced to the woman who's going to lead the worship service. And then somebody said, now over there is her boyfriend who she lives with, uh, and we're so glad he came to church today. And Carol turns to me, Tom, that's not right, is it? If she's living with her boyfriend, it's not right for her to lead the worship service, is it? And I said, no, Carol, that isn't right. And you know what I, I heard going on? I heard Car Carol is fighting her flesh. She wants a church that will help her not go back to fornication. She doesn't need a church that winks at sin. And the point is, yeah, listen, we're all sinners. Serve the Lord Jesus, imperfections and all. But if you're living in impenitent sin, you've got to work on that first. Let's look at verse 26. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's the next lesson. A Christian will be honored someday. The Christians who are having their churches blown up in Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, the churches, the Christians who are being beheaded, the Christians who are being tortured, who, the Christians who are sitting in jail for their Christian faith, one day God will honor them. Hallelujah. And look at verse 27. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's talking about his death. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Here's the next lesson. Jesus' perfect purpose in life was to suffer for us. That's why he came, was to suffer for us. So, <laughs> I went to, I was out of town, and I'm a Lutheran, but I wanted a, a, a Lenten service, so I went to this Presbyterian Lenten service. Now, just so you know, Presbyterians are big on the doctrine of predestination, that God predestines everything to happen. I believe in that too. And so the preacher, the Presbyterian preacher, gets in the pulpit and he, he said, tonight I want to preach on the cross. And I just want you to know, it was not God's will for his son to suffer and die on the cross. After church, the pastor's shaking hands. I have to talk to him. So I was polite and I said, but pastor, what do you do with Acts chapter 2? Jesus was delivered up to the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Of course it was God's will for Jesus to die. That's why Jesus came. So um, here's my next lesson then. Jesus did not run from God-appointed suffering. 
So that's my next lesson to you. Christian, you too. Don't run from God-appointed suffering. This last week, I had a very difficult day that I've been dreading for two months. There's a certain person I had to confront about some very difficult things, and I couldn't meet with this person until... I, I knew I had to do this for two months, and, and this last week we met. For two months, I've been dreading this. Now, I didn't want to go to that meeting, but I knew God wanted me to go to that meeting, and it wasn't a fun meeting at all. It went well, ultimately, but it was a rough meeting. Now, should I have run from that and not done it because I didn't feel like doing it? No. Jesus did not run, and Christian, you too, we don't run from God-appointed suffering. And some people say, oh, my loving God, he never wants anyone to suffer. Baloney. It's good for us to suffer. Listen to this. <laughs> a, a tourist is walking through Switzerland. Here comes a shepherd leading a flock of sheep. And there's one lamb that's right next to the shepherd's leg as he walks. And the tourist says, why is that lamb so close to you and the others are following you? And he said, oh, that's the lamb. I broke its leg. You broke its leg on purpose? Oh, yes, this little lamb used to wander, stray from the flock, go over the cliffs almost a few times. And I have learned as a shepherd, if I will break its leg, then I have to hold the lamb for a while, and it walks right next to me, and for the rest of its life, it's very close. <laughs> you know, I think, I th when am I closest to God? It's when I'm in trouble. I think God does send us suffering because it breaks us and it keeps us close to God. Don't run from God-appointed suffering. Verse 28, Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Here's the next lesson. A Christian's goal is to glorify the Father. That was Jesus' goal in life, was to glorify the Father. That's our goal in life, is to glorify the Father. So something I want to encourage you to pray. God, between today and the day I die, be glorified in my life. I, I pray that periodically. Have you ever prayed that? God, between today and the day I die, I was praying with two Christians last night. Their lives are kind of upside down, and they're trying to figure out. And I, last night I prayed for them. I said, God, in her life between today and the day she dies, and her husband's life between today, God, use their lives for your greatest glory. Do you pray that? I would pray that regularly. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Here's the next lesson. The cross judges people. We normally think of the cross saving people, and it does, but the cross also judges people in that it shows this is how wicked human beings are, that they would do this to God's only son. A woman comes up and says, Pastor, what work of man will be up in heaven? The pastor said, no, heaven is God's kingdom. There's no work of man that'll be up here. It'll all be burned on the earth. No work of man in heaven. And the woman said, oh, yes, pastor, there is one work of man that we will see in heaven. And he said, what's that? And she said, the nail scars in Jesus' hands and feet. <laughs> 
That's the one thing we will see that we did. The cross judges us all as sinners. And the next words, verse 31. Now, Jesus said, the ruler of this world, he's talking about the devil, will be cast out. Here's the next lesson. Satan was defeated at the cross. Now, if you look at the cross, it looks like Satan won. He's, he's tormenting the Son of God on the cross. But if you look deeper, what is Jesus, Jesus doing on the cross? He's saving us out of hell, putting us into heaven. And you know, it says Satan put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray the Christ. I don't think Satan knew what he was doing in that moment. You know, the Bible never says Satan is omniscient like God is. When Satan tried to get Jesus on the cross, I don't think Satan realized he was losing the war by doing that. <laughs> and last words, verse 20, uh, 32, and I, when I am lifted up, he's talking about on the cross, from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Here's the last lesson. It is the cross that draws people to Christ. I remember many years ago, Billy Graham preached a sermon on TV that he said, when I was a young evangelist, I gave a big crusade. At the end of the service, I said, if you've never accepted Christ, come forward. He said, almost nobody came forward that night. And I turned to this older preacher who was there and I said, what happened tonight? And the old preacher said, Billy, you didn't preach the cross. And Billy Graham, I think, said, I determined after that in every sermon to preach the cross. So I close by preaching the cross to you. Here it is. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell. God loved us so much that God came down from heaven, became a human being. His name was Jesus. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. So he could go to the cross and pay for our sins. Then he rose from the dead. And you believe in the Lord Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven when you die. That is the cross, and that's what draws people to Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions that we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, how does a person know if their suffering is God-appointed or if it's the devil and they should fight it? Well, you know, Jackie, there are some preachers on TV that teach all suffering and all disease is from the devil. And a Christian never has to be sick because you just name it and claim it in the name of Jesus and the sickness will be gone. I don't believe that. And Jackie, here's why I don't believe it. God says to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 4, who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So God, and in the Bible, sometimes God directly hits people with something. On the other hand, you've got in the book of Acts, it said Jesus went around healing those that were oppressed by the devil. And if you remember, Jesus healed a woman on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees got upset, and this woman was bent over, and now she's healed. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, have been healed on the Sabbath? So I think the, the best way to answer that question is in the book of Job, Job chapters 1, 2, 3, Satan is the one who's hitting Job with stuff, bad stuff. 
but he can't touch Job until he first goes before the throne of God and gets permission from God. So God gave... God gave Satan permission to hit Job with those uh, boils on him. <coughs> so, you know, Jackie, when I get sick, is that God doing it? Is that the devil doing it? The way I normally think, God, you're in control. Whoever's doing it, you're the one who allowed it, and you're the one who can take it away. That's about the best I can tell you. Well, that's actually a very good answer for it because I think I was very confused all of a sudden yeah. and it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Some people teach that it's because Jesus died for all, therefore all people are saved. But is that really true? It is not true. There's a sad teaching now in many of our Christian churches. It's a heresy, a false teaching called universalism, that because Jesus died on the cross for all, Therefore, everybody goes to heaven. Hitler, the devil, everybody uh, goes to heaven. The problem with that is Jesus never taught that. Uh, the Bible talks about heaven and hell. Those who accept Christ go to heaven. Those who reject Christ go to hell. Yes, he did die for all people, but a lot of people go like this to his death on the cross, so they're not saved by his death on the cross. So if you've got a pastor, and a lot of them are out there, teaching everybody's going to heaven, well, I'd get another church. You know, in one way, though, it would be kind of good for people if they did get a glimpse of heaven and then get told they can't come in. I know. I mean, especially what, we, what some of the things we're seeing people doing today that goes so against... Somebody said once, if we could take a, an elevator down into hell and see it for five minutes and come back up and live this life, we would never be the same. That's a good point. Yeah. So can you explain the symbolism in baptism? Yeah. We just talked about baptism in this show. And I'm a Lutheran. And for a Lutheran, a Catholic, an Episcopalian, uh, baptism is more than symbolism. And there is symbolism in baptism that you put the person under the water, their old evil self dies, and their new person comes up, a new creature in Christ. So there is symbolism in baptism. But some Christian denominations believe that it's more than symbolism. God actually does stuff in baptism. He washes away sin, gives you the Holy Spirit, you know, makes you a new creature in Christ. So uh, wonderful things happen in baptism. And if you've never been baptized, get baptized. It's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, the different churches all have different regulations, though, about baptism. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so... Like Lutherans kind of believe more in baptizing infants, yeah. babies, right? Yeah. The Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Episcopal Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church all baptize children, infants. The Baptist churches, most of the evangelical churches, the Assemblies of God, the Disciples of Christ, they only baptize adults. And Jackie, this is a debate that will go on until the second coming of Christ. I. I came this close to becoming a Baptist when I was at my Baptist college years ago. Then I went home to my Lutheran pastor and said, the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. And he said, oh, yes, it does. And he showed me how whole households are baptized. I, we don't have time to go into it, but that's the end of the show. Go ahead, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks for being with us this week. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? 
you may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.